0: Welcome to HeadEx, hosted by Martin Betts. This podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience.
1: Today's guests on HeadEx are Dr. Elizabeth Gads and Professor Adrian Barnett. And Lizzie is a research evaluation, scholarly communications and research culture specialist working in the role as research culture and quality lead at Loughborough University in the UK, where other than a year in Glasgow, she's been working for more than 25 years and she chairs the International Network of Research Management Society's research evaluation group known as ENORMS. Welcome, Lizzie, to the HEDEX podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Lovely to be here.
1: And Adrian, Adrian Barnett, is a professor of statistics in the health faculty at QUT. He works in medical research and his main interests are improving the value of research by changing the way we funds, run and reward it. And he's a past president of the Statistical Society of Australia and currently leads the Association for Interdisciplinary Meta-Research and Open Science, whose conference he recently chaired in Brisbane. Adrian, a very warm welcome to you and Lizzie to HeadEx. Thank you, Martin. Lovely to be here. And we'll hear lots more from both of today's guests straight after this short message from our sponsors.
2: Enjoying the HeadX podcast? You should check out The Thought Bubble, a podcast series where cross-disciplinary experts from all around the world share insights about emerging technologies and all the ways in which they can transform how we teach, learn, evaluate and experience higher education. Hear from Google, Meta, Holland IQ, KPMG, Duolingo and more. Find the Thought Bubble wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Lizzie and Adrian, you've both ended up working together on a shared purpose and focus on challenging the way that university rankings are growing in their influence and power and how they affect how universities behave and pre- present themselves, despite the league tables they produce having, I think in your both your words, having no legs to stand on. C- can you tell us a little bit about how you both got to be working in this space separately and what led you to be working together on this topic? Lizzie, maybe firstly with you.
2: Thank you, yeah. So the first I learned of Adrian was when I saw a tweet of his when he offered to work for free for any university that would publicly denounce and withdraw from the Global University Rankings. Uh, And at that point, the iNorms Research Evaluation Group that that I chair had been working on um, how to make research assessment more uh, meaningful and and, uh, responsible and effective uh, for for about five years. Um, And we've been focused particularly on the impact of the Global University Rankings, on the kind of research assessment ecosystem because we see them really as the apex predator they affect a lot of uh, negative assessment throughout the whole ecosystem uh, and when i saw that tweet i thought this guy is one of us you know <laughs> and what's more he's a statistician uh, and a very accomplished one at that uh, he's prepared to say out loud that in his professional opinion the global rankings are statistically illiterate uh, and who's literally willing to put his money where his mouth is to engender action uh to that might lead to more critical engagement with the rankings so you know when you're working on ranking reform, you can often feel like that small boy in the crowd yelling, but the emperor is wearing no clothes. Why can't anyone see that? You know, um, uh, that this lie that everyone's brought into that the rankings are actually measuring something meaningful uh, is is exactly that. It's it's a lie. So so imagine the feeling when you're uh, that little child in the crowd, suddenly hears another child in the crowd kind of calling out the same lie. It's it's kind of, it was a wonderful feeling. So we then just started uh, chatting and um, it led to our piece in, Uh, significance um, the journal of the the royal uh, and the australian and american statistical societies and various other projects that uh, no doubt we'll go on to talk about in the next few minutes
1: so what did you think then adrian when you um got that response to your
0: tweet yeah well it's funny for one little tweet it actually had quite a lot of impact because i got to meet lizzie which was great and we've been working together i actually also got to meet the chief scientist out of that and an ex-vc contacted me and i had a good chat them as well. So um, yeah, sometimes it's amazing what the, as, as Lizzie said, the thing that everybody's thinking, somebody says it out loud. But yeah, I mean, I'm very confident in critiquing tables, because tables combine universities and statistics. And I've been working as a statistician in the university for 25 years. So this is firmly within my backyard. And what I really want to do is get them out of my backyard and off to the dump where they belong.
1: Well, I first came across the two of you, really, when um, Lizzie made a comment on one of the pieces that I wrote on this subject about... um you know what if there were no university rankings and and lizzie you you made some comments on that and it took me a bit of a while to see but then to to find that two people from places two universities that i know very well in two different parts of the world would be working together on this was too good an opportunity to to miss really and look i've been fascinated to find that separately you've done some fabulous fabulous work but you've also done some great work together and lizzie you mentioned the written piece for significance and the podcast that you you previously recorded, um, which quite questions, do university rankings really tell us anything? I think I know the answer to what you're going to give to this, but do they?
2: I think the short answer is no, um, but that would be quite a short podcast. Uh, I, think, I think the long answer is that, you know, each individual data point collected by the rankings might tell us something. We might disagree with the ranking agencies as to exactly what those data points do tell us. Uh, so the number of, number of Nobel Prize winners amongst your alumni to me is the number of Nobel Prize winners amongst your alumni, it doesn't tell me anything about your teaching quality. Uh, and the number of citations that your faculty produce is the number of citations your faculty produce, it's not a conclusive indicator of your research quality. So there's these kind of face validity issues around the, the, the data collected by the rankings. There's also the issue of error in the data collected, and Adrian is much better place to talk about this than me, but we know that there are huge error bars around the kind of the data collected by the rankings I think um, estimates around 10% for citation counts um, perhaps you know due to the the source not indexing all journals human error computer error calculations cheating etc so when you line up those citation scores on their own they're not gospel they're an indicator uh, and the actual value might be higher or lower than the data point provided but you know, not not only do the rankings tend to ignore the error in individual data points, they then combine these indicators together in aggregate, weight them in various unjustified ways into a, a single digit, which is you know subject to so much error that you can really never conclusively say that one institution is actually better than another because the, the data collection and the presentation is just so uh, unreliable. So, so do the rankings tell us anything? Not really, uh, but they might tell us something about the characteristics of a a university because we know that the rankings tend to reward the old, large, wealthy, white, English-speaking, research intensives in the global north. So so the higher you rank, um, the more likely it is you fall into those categories. I think that's all the rankings can really tell us. Do you want to add to that Adrian?
0: Might disagree, I think there's one table that's good. There's a table in the US colleges that's based on how good the food is. So I think that's useful because food choices are something that's potentially rankable using the wisdom of the crowd. And I know it's very important to many students. And actually, I'm just reading Adam Kay's fantastic book about the UK NHS. And he, he admitted that he chose his university based on the food. I chose my university based on who would have me. Um, so and I've got a colleague at Oxford who really wants a food ranking for the UK because he says the food at Oxford is terrible. And he says if there was a ranking and Oxford appeared like 50th or 100, um, the university might finally do something about it so I think for simple things like is the food good then yes for complex things like is the education good then no
1: (laughs) fascinating I'd love to see who would come top of a food one from the universities that I've worked I'd have to say National University of Singapore was pretty good but Mm. um, but there we go Um, Lizzie you've also written extensively on this subject with a piece in Nature ranking the different rankers and you also had a more recent wonky blog in the UK with some free advice for university rankings and this included I don't recall it saying that they should measure the quality of food, but I do recall it saying it should include a call for qualitative data alongside quantitative numbers that are common to all of our rankings it would seem and developing some other alternatives to ranks in themselves. So what was your free advice to rankers?
2: Yeah, I should just correct a point there. We we didn't rank the rankers because we don't. We didn't want to kind of fall foul of the very behaviour that we were seeking to create, critique. We were we were rated the rankers, um, uh, and and we did it in you know, in line with our own kind of responsible assessment approaches. I should just clarify. Um, but yeah, in terms of this free advice, so there's been three big global reports in the last six months making recommendations to institutions about, you know, how we might engage more critically with the rankings as institutions. There was a Dutch report on ranking the university. There was the European University Association guidelines uh, made to European institutions. And then there was, um, in the last couple of weeks, United Nations University International Institute for Global Health produced uh, another statement with recommendations as to what institutions should do after their report on the coloniality and biases of the global rankings. But but all of these reports that they make recommendations to institutions, of course, uh, not not to the rankers. So it got me thinking, you know, what um, given that there is now such pushback against the rankings, there are more and more institutions uh, seeking to boycott and withdraw from the rankings. You know, what what the bare minimum they would have to do in order to survive in this kind of landscape that's suddenly becoming more um, critical uh, around the the kind of methods and the the approaches of the rankings you know given the this drive for more responsible forms of assessment what you know how how could they meet those those requirements so I proposed five things that I think they absolutely uh, must do the first would be to um, abandon their flagship rankings so times higher qs they all have introduced a whole range of alternative rankings subject rankings um regional rankings um age-related rankings you know but there's no point introducing all of those if they are still going to promote an overarching ranking of rankings you know that that um, you know c- contrary to their um, claim that they're trying to find a way to enable everyone to shine you know these overarching rankings really do the opposite of that they they kind of make losers out of everybody basically so that, that's the first thing I recommended um, the second thing would be to make room for every university because currently only a fraction of the world's universities are ranked at all so this has created a, a caste system you've got the rankables and the unrankables you know and I, I just believe that if we really truly um, care about uh, the tertiary education sector um, that's completely unacceptable we every university should have its existence mapped uh, in some way by any effort to um, assess global universities even if that entry might be qualitative not quantitative um, the third thing that I recommended was that, is, that rankings should be a lot more honest about the uncertainty around their data. As I've already talked about, there's massive error in ranking data. You know, surfacing this would at least give the lie to the very idea of a ranking. Um, you know, I always say um, so. Gloria Steiner was this famous U.S feminist who said about women imagine we are linked not ranked you know and I think that is a better characterization of the higher education sector we are a network of institutions all trying to achieve the same thing ultimately in different domains with different strengths that so we can learn from each other it's a much better way of perceiving ourselves than on a ranking so we're kind of elbowing other people off, off the ladder just to kind of make ourselves look better um the fourth was around if, if we can be honest about the uncertainty in her and in rankings to move away from rankings to profiles of institutions, you know, that this um this is a much better way of displaying the hugely nuanced nature of these complex entities we're seeking to assess. And the fifth thing, as you mentioned, uh, Martin, is around you know, offering a qualitative complement to the quantitative data presented in the rankings. You know, it's it is a basic tenant of Um, responsible research assessment principles, that we should, um, you know, to achieve the best possible assessment, we need to combine both qualitative and quantitative uh, approaches. Um, And that's why we introduced the More Than Our Rank initiative, which I can go on to talk about in a moment. I
1: mean, you lead Enorms, which launched more than our rank and for the benefit of our, our our audience who may be aware of it or may not and i certainly want everyone to be aware of, aware of it at the end of this episode what is that who's taking part in it and how does it help with the issues we're dealing with, do you think?
2: Yes. So so More Than Our Rank is an initiative developed by the INOMS Research Valuation Group. And it was established to, to allow universities to describe in a qualitative way, you know, how much more they have to offer the world than is captured by their, their ranking. You know, signatures don't need to boycott the rankings, they can be proud of their ranking uh, You know, if it works for them. Um, but every university, we would say, whether you're top 10 or, or or unranked, is so much more the, than their rank. Uh, and we think that signing up to, to More Than Our Rank, which is a simple risk-free process, you simply sign up to, and you uh, add the More Than Our Rank logo to your website, you can provide your qualitative statement. You know, we, we think it does three things. Firstly, it allows your institution to provide this qualitative complement to any quantitative um, data supplied by the rankings. So it allows you to kind of describe in a far more nuanced way everything that you have to offer the world, your strengths, your activities, your ambitions, uh, your achievements. Um, This, in turn, does help to identify and highlight the deficiencies of the university rankings in assessing institutions because it exposes all of the stuff that they miss, but in a very subtle, non-aggressive way. Um, But I think the main benefit to me is that it it provides all institutions, both the the ranked and the unranked, um, you know, a a level playing field on which to kind of showcase what, what they have to offer um i i often uh liken participation in more than i think to um declaring your pronouns you know it might be pretty obvious to the world that i'm a she her right <laughs> but by declaring my pronouns i pave the way for others whose pronouns might not be guessable to declare theirs you know i'm normalizing equity and, and to my mind any university that, that says that they care about global equity, and that, that is a lot of us, you know, the, there's, there's no reason why they shouldn't take this very simple uh, risk-free step to make that the sector a little fair and a little bit more inclusive.
1: So, so who has signed up to who is to more than our rank so far? What are the universities that are involved in that? Can you give us a bit of a flavour? I think it includes your own university, Loughborough.
2: Yeah. So both Adrian's institution, QUT, and Loughborough are, uh, were early adopters. We've got a handful of institutions at the moment, really, and everyone has been quite hard won because they're right at the beginning of this this initiative. Um, But it has huge support from, as I said, all those three big um, global rankings reports that have come out in the last six months have all stated. You know your institution should assign more than our rank we've got support from dora the declaration on research assessment the european university association um the science europe you know some big uh su- supporters um but we do have so utrecht university who recently withdrew from the rankings there are signatories so we've got top 100 and we've got those who are not ranked at all um on any ranking and it's an interesting exercise seeing what they're all saying about themselves you know the different qualities that that, that they're Wanting to to share that their highlights, their uh, achievements that aren't captured by by any numbers.
1: And um, look, I'll just give you an invitation to tell all our, all our listeners how they could find out more about more than our rank and how they could go about exploring joining joining up with that new initiative.
2: Oh, thank thank you. So, um, if you Google uh, Inorms more than our rank, you will find the more than our rank uh, sign up page. Uh, you can see our supporting organisations, our signature organisations. There's an opportunity to listen to some past community calls that we've held about it and some forthcoming ones. And there you can also just sign up and, and learn more about it and ask any questions that you might have.
1: Great. And I'd encourage everybody to to follow up on that, just like um, Adrian your university has QUT is the first um, Australian university to become part of more than our rank in investigating this episode I actually found out from other sources that I hadn't realized that JCU and University of Southern Queensland had both opted out of some of our rankings about 10 years ago, i would forgotten that that had taken place, but they're both very present again in in the rankings now. Um, More than our rank wasn't available at the time for them to use as an alternative to that. But um, back back to you, Adrian, and QUT. Here, here you are as a real, really leading scholar in the the work associated with rankings, and you've I presume it wasn't your decision to sign up to More than Our Rank. I assume that that was the leadership of the institution. And yet QUT is still part of the rankings in a way that's not inconsistent with the more than our rank initiative and still is, as all universities do, and as every participant in rankings does, chooses to use its performance in rankings as part of its marketing messages alongside its presentation in more than our rank. I wonder, um, how do we join up, do you think, Adrian, what scholars like you know what leaders like your own have so ably demonstrated that they commit to and what all parts of our universities, including the marketing department, then follow in how they um, act in our institutions. How do we join these things up?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that one part of my university can do one thing and another part the opposite shows to me how complex universities are and just how daft it is to try and summarise the university into a single number or ranking on this or any other issue. I mean, think of a university where in the same year you've had an academic win the Nobel Prize and another academic sack for fabricating data. How, how would a league table summarize that Did We give them a B plus? Nice. But look, yeah, I mean, going back to the marketing department, I think it's probably my fault. I am a statistician. I tend to present data that's, you know, very numbers-based, very formal. So uh, something that's interested me lately is some of the legal scholars getting involved in this and some of the legal angles um, around uh, especially in the US with you know universities looking very likely that they were fudging their numbers I think that's an interesting angle. I'd also love to see some researchers from psychology getting involved because there's some kind of strange herding behavior going on here as well amongst the universities and I think if we could understand that more then, then that would really help.
1: <laughs> we could have a whole research field into the behavior of universities around that or well, perhaps you two are the leading proponents of it I don't know but um I think, Lizzie, you've talked about a tide, and I'd be interested in talking about that a little And you're presenting some evidence of that change around... Um, how some top US universities have been pulling out of rankings, some of these um, group reports that you've mentioned, and two Dutch universities that recently have withdrawn from rankings. How how are you seeing this will all play out? And do you really think that the tide is fully turning? And what will it take for universities to stay out of engaging with university Rankings in the future, if indeed that is to happen.
2: Yeah, I, I really do think the tide is turning. I feel so encouraged by um, everything that's happened this year. These three big r- reports have been significant. I think we're seeing more and more institutions actually walking away. Um, I, I i think in terms of boycotts, there's probably two groups who can really afford to, to just leap straight to boycotting the ranking. Um, You know, there's those who have nothing to lose because the rankings don't really serve them very well. So they're not ranked um, at the moment. And those who have nothing to lose as their reputation is pretty secure (laughs) with or without the rankings. That's not to say it doesn't take real guts to do it. Uh, And hats off to Utrecht and Yale and Harvard and Reed College who withdrew years ago. Uh, Many, many more who've taken the stand. You know, even 12 months ago, I wouldn't have predicted that. So I, I think the tide is turning, but tides turn very, very slowly. Uh, almost imperceptibly Um, and it's only by kind of coming back after a period of time that you think oh the the tide is is now somewhere else but you know and it takes a lot of um, uh, kind of chipping away (laughs) at the wall um, by people like myself and Adrian who get a horse kind of saying the same things over and over and over again Um, but other um, organizations then kind of joining forces and thinking yes actually we cannot um, to- tolerate this anymore as a sector. You know, this is a challenge to our intellectual integrity. Um, we cannot um, outsource our values anymore to the unappointed, unaccountable commercial third parties. You know, there are real imperatives now to to make a stand. Our, our, our reputation shouldn't only rest on how we fare in the rankings, but how we actually engage with the rankings. You know, and I think that's the common message from all of these three three big reports: is that um, you know, there's lots of dimensions to reputation, uh, we shouldn't be outsourcing that to just to, to these these kind of commercial um, newspapers, essentially. It, I think it's also driving real innovation in the sector to develop alternatives to, to the existing rankings. So the CWTS Leiden ranking, they've linked with more than our rank now to develop um, Uh, to kind of highlight institutions more than our rank statements. So they're providing qualitative and quantitative approaches to assessment. They're also developing uh, an open source alternative to their ranking, because one of the issues with the the rankings is that they use bibliometric data from sources which uh, largely um, benefit those institutions in the global north, because 80% of the journals they index are from the global north, right? So so an open source alternative will provide a very different uh, spin on um, you know what what good 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 looks like, and 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 who is good. <laughs> so I think it's going to be very interesting to see what that open source version of their ranking will look like. And hats off to them; they've not. Done the work first, and then decided to um, <laughs> uh, announce it to the world. They've announced to the world they're going to do it, and then they're going to do it. So they've no idea what the outcome of that's going to be. Um, so they care about doing this right. We're also seeing things um, in Europe now. There's a European Higher Education Observatory which is seeking to join up quite a lot of existing sources of uh, European uh, data on, on European universities. So I think there's there's a lot happening in this which we should be uh, really
1: encouraged by well encouragement of tides turning would be well received i'm sure by all of us and i think by many people listening to this podcast but just when we think and hope that the tide is turning maybe in australia coming back to um to where i sit as we have this conversation we now have an announcement from at one of our major newspapers the australian financial review of their new best university ranking it's being developed or has been developed by a Former Vice Chancellor and an ANU prof- Professorial Statistician, I wonder if I can ask you both first off. First off, w- w- Adrian, were you surprised, and what were your thoughts of this new ranking when you first heard about it?
0: Yeah, mine. I was surprised because um, I think it's tarnished the brand a bit for the uh, for the AFR because I actually enjoyed reading most articles in there. But again, I'm sure the AFR are a big, complex organisation, and I'm not sure that all their staff knew or approved of this. And I guess maybe it was the marketing department thinking about how it could help with income and advertising rather than a genuine attempt to improve um, the higher education sector. Now, I haven't seen the ranking yet, but I'm fairly confident that it will be very similar to all the others with the g 8 universities in Australia doing very well. Um, because, you know, what else could they do? <laughs> um, you know, imagine a, imagine a new international ranking where Cambridge are 50th. You know, it's just never going to happen. Uh, and I did hear a vicarious story where Cambridge stopped supplying data to the tables to save some money. And so their rank should have actually tumbled. Um, but the tables didn't punish them because they were Cambridge. And they would look foolish if Cambridge appeared so low. So the tables and the universities are in this kind of silly uh, symbiosis. And it, and it's a bit of a pipe dream for anybody, you know, a small or middle ranking university to break into the top 10, no matter what they do.
1: And, and Lizzie, um you know, ahead of seeing the details of the ranking, what were your thoughts when you heard that another new ranking had emerged in Australia? Were you surprised and disappointed in any way?
2: Not surprised at all. These things come out on a regular basis. Um, I think it's uh, unlikely to gain traction because, um, as i said, there's a lot of um, alternative rankings in the world so so the Russian universities famously had ambitions to get into the top 200 of the big three rankings they didn't manage it so they developed their own ranking the round university rankings in which surprise surprise they did a lot better um than than the other rankings you know so as Adrian says this is about selling selling newspapers essentially you know it's not a serious attempt to assess universities um it will just be kind of Clickbait, you know, a, a bit of kerfuffle about it. I imagine in the first few weeks, and then it'll die down.
1: So over to you, Adrian. Now, now the ranking and its methodology and results have been published, and it's gained some clicks and died down. What is your assessment of this AFR ranking?
0: I didn't see anything new. It just looked like all the old rankings with all the existing problems. They actually included data from the other rankings, so just serving up cold coffee, as they would say in Germany. And looking at the research table of the top eight, seven were from the GO8. That's really not telling us anything new or surprising. And then in terms of transparency, there were nothing about how the weights were arrived at, but these are vital for determining who comes top. Nothing on how the proxy measures have been validated. Nothing on uncertainties or measurement error. So I'd give it a one out of ten in my equally unvalidated ranking of rankers.
1: I thought well, that's a rating of the rankings, not a ranking of the rankings, surely.
0: So you're right. Yes. Good correction there. I, I'm happy to take corrections. Me too.
1: So is this the sort of initiative by a newspaper that has happened before and will happen again? Are we going to see more things like this happen in Australia and around the world, do you think, Adrian? I don't know. I mean, I
0: see they're trying to make money out of it. So I suppose if they make money out of it, they'll keep it going. Or it could just quietly die a death. I mean, I wonder whether I should try and make money out of it, too. I mean, you know, big universities top the tables. Well, duh. I could set myself up as a consultant and charge for advice, and then after you know three months, I'll just give people a little slip of paper that says, "Merge with a bigger university." You know, I mean, this is uh, the opposite of rocket science.
2: It's rocket science, and see who'll buy it. This has happened before, and I think those parts of the world, you know, for whom rankings really matter, particularly trying to seek and recruit international students you know, it's not at all surprising that you're trying to kind of get in on the ranking game and kind of show your, your sector in a better light. It's just disappointing um, that they're using this um, kind of out outdated method of 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 seeking to do that.
1: So um, <laughs> I, I think I mentioned um, that I first came across you, Lizzie, um, at the start of this conversation from something that I'd written that you responded to. And when I wrote that, I also got a couple of responses um from um, people that will remain anonymous that uh, vice chancellors of two of our leading universities, whatever a leading university is um, in in Australia. Um, and so I entered into a bit of a dialogue with them about encouraging them to take their own actions around participation in rank- rankings. And I got the very strong message back that that was something that they would be personally feel was the right thing to do but because of the dependence on international student fee income and, and and other factors determined by them in their view that it was just too hard for them to do and so isn't you know i ca- i can understand why we think the tides turning but isn't this always going to be too hard to do for some of our leaders and if not where is this heading and what is your advice to university leaders of what response they should be making right now? Both of you might want to have a go at that
2: one. It, it is it is difficult and it's interesting reading these, these three reports all offering advice to institutions about what they might do. Um, and you know, the categories they tend to fall into are around you know how how we use the rankings how how an institution might use the rankings i.e trying to encourage them not to use the rankings uh, in decision making to set their own strategy you know which all seems very sensible um certainly not using the rankings to assess individual researchers um how institutions might communicate about their rankings so if if you are going to say that you are top 10 top 200 whatever it might be you know to, to be very clear as to exactly what that that means um and i think when you do that piece of work to try and understand exactly what these indicators are telling us and to communicate that to the world uh, i think that's when the whole thing t- starts to fall down because you think mm, actually i don't think they do really tell us anything at all um but yeah you know, that, that's another kind of set of recommendations the third is around, you know, how we collaborate with the rankings. Should we be submitting our data to them for free, given that they then sell it back to the sector and make quite a lot of money out of it? Uh, if we do submit our data to them at all, perhaps we should also make making that data freely and openly available so that others can um, see, see that those numbers and uh, make their own decisions uh, about us. Should we be hosting their the ranking summits? Should we be kind of um engaging in their reputation surveys there's lots of things that we could you know, think more critically about as institutions and the final category of recommendations is around these alternatives too um and this is something that adrian and i have been kind of trying to work away on behind the scenes not successfully so far but to try and get some um you know to identify what well, who would be best place really uh internationally to collect robust data about institutions that could be helpful um, to help all those parties who are currently using the rankings to make better, more informed decisions with more robust data that's presented in a, a fairer, more uh, accessible um, and robust way. Um, but some of this is stuff that individual institutions can do, of course, uh, and some of it is will require collective action. And I think that's our challenge, you know, that at the moment we are pitted against each other in this unholy competition, Um, And we're now kind of saying, actually, to try and beat this competition, um, not to win at it, but to kind of overcome it altogether, we need to work collectively and agree, actually, as a sector, we do not want to outsource our values to these commercial um, third parties. We would like to retain control over how um, our sector is assessed. We'd like it to be done independently. We're not looking to mark our own homework, um, but but not, not by these parties using this approach, which is unhelpful and driving all sorts of perverse behaviours.
1: And Adrian, what would you like to see global university leaders do in response to where we currently are?
0: I'd
2: really like
0: to see the leaders question whether rankings really drive international student numbers. I've never seen any good data for that. I think it's a very convenient thing for the tables to say. And I had a big discussion with somebody once and they said, oh, no, 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 it's definitely true because uh, our rankings went up and, uh, and then our international student numbers went up. Well, you know, as a statistician, I know that correlation is not causation. There are lots of other things happening in Australia during that time, including massive changes to the visa program. So I think students make these big decisions for a number of other reasons. I think word of mouth from their friends and, 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 and family is, is a big issue. I think the climate is an issue. I think, what, is it a big city? Is it easy for me to fly to? I, I think there are all these other issues um, that are there. And I mean, if you're going to get data like, well, Stanford and Oxford get the most subscriptions and they're at the top of the tables, well, that's not great evidence either because it doesn't matter about the tables. They're always going to be massively oversubscribed. So ask for the evidence and think about, you know, are, are we spending our money to get up the table like 10, 20 places? Do we really think that's going to return international student numbers for us? Or should we find out actually what attracts international students, and do more of that.
1: Adrian, you might also have seen that John Dewar, the former chair of Universities Australia, has criticised the rankings himself and has particularly criticised the marketing approaches that followed them from the Fin Review to universities, inviting universities to give them money to help promote the rankings that they've made of those universities. What do you make of that?
0: Well, first of all, good for John Dewar for coming out and saying that.
1: Yeah. I'm sure there are lots
0: of other people thinking it. Um, maybe I'm willing to say it if they're concerned about uh, where their ranking might end up. But yeah, I mean, if it does feel like a lot of this is then about the money, not really about trying to make higher education better.
1: And um, I guess all of those considerations are drawn by our us responding to what leaders are telling us they have to do in terms of the economics of higher education but I'd, I'd like to just close out this conversation with you both i think in terms of what you think policymakers around the world in higher education it would seem to me are getting increasingly drawn to focus on the equity issues that we say are so important to us in higher education and, and I have concerns and I'm sure you have concerns about the impact of rankings on equity and inequity in higher education. And as as policymakers are doing their work, and in Australia we've got a minister who was recently at, at the venue of the Times Higher Education World Academic Summit who gave a speech saying great universities are not just about rankings, they're about students, they are not a place of privilege, they're a place of opportunity. And so as he's about to receive a major report in Australia on what policy settings we should have to drive growth in equity numbers in our universities in this part of the world. What do you feel policymakers, if anything, should be doing about ranking?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, rankings absolutely embed inequities and, to my mind, stifle innovation as all institutions try and become a carbon copy of those that top the rankings, essentially. You know, imagine the creativity and the innovation that we as a sector could see, um, permeating through the way that we actually deliver education the way we deliver research if we weren't if we didn't have one eye all the time on the rankings which re- reward a very narrow um traditional legacy approach to to our, our activity um i think the united nations university report on coloniality and biases in the global university rankings makes a really really strong case uh, against um, rankings as a kind of um, a driver of all sorts of poor behaviors that you know mitigate against equity and inclusion i think even those rankings that claim to prize things like sustainability are are unsustainable. You know, they, they use unsustainable data sources, as I mentioned earlier. They're kind of that are heavily biased towards the global north. They deflect attention away from actual SDG targets. So the Times higher has an impact ranking now and that's kind of gaining h- huge traction and everyone feels kind of quite satisfied about that because of course it's you know viewing uh, university performance in a very different way or we all care about impact don't we? We all care about sustainable development goals don't we Um, but actually when you look at the indicators that they use to assess institutions achievements against the SDGs they're nothing to do with the SDGs the SDG well they're not not unrelated but they are not the SDG already has its own targets uh, and the indicators used by the rankings are are not those targets and so you've got institutions chasing these kind of pseudo indicators which can look make them look like they are achieving impact but actually um, those indicators don't really reflect what the SDGs care about at all so to my mind you know the the only winners at university rankings are the university rankings you know Mm -hmm. and and if we care about equity we we just have to to fix this.
1: Fix it how are we going to
0: fix it Adrian as a close? Ignoring the rankings is a good start and focus on how to make higher education more affordable to those who want it particularly given the current cost of living crisis. I mean, one reason I'm so passionate about university education is personally life transforming for me. I mean, I got a hardship grant to go to university in the UK, was working in factories uh, and shops in every holiday and every weekend. Um, but I absolutely love my degree and I got a graduate job straight after that. And that started me on this wonderful career. So I hope universities can still be places that transform people's lives not just young people but people looking to restart their career as well
1: well what a lovely note to finish off off on for today and thank you so much to both of you lizzie and adrian for the passion that you bring to your work on a topic that is so important that is um let's hope that the the tide is turning let's hope that we're bringing some rationality to to serve the purpose that we all have i think to bring about greater equity through a, a higher education rather than just uses a means for generating profits for ranking companies and newspapers and for being so um articulate and insightful on this topic in this episode of of the headaches podcast thank you very much for joining us
2: and that's all we've
1: got time for this week on headaches